Open a channel. Open a channel. Open a channel. Open a channel. Open a channel to all decks. Can you hear me? My name is Christopher Pike, commander of the Space Vehicle Enterprise from a stellar group at the other end of this galaxy. My name is Lee Shackleford. I'm a writer for stage, screen, and radio. I've uh, uh, been working professionally as a writer for more than 30 years now. I've written all kinds of things and uh, have been enjoying that that life. Um, there are certain threads that run through my work, and uh, I, I've been asked to talk about one of the strange ones. I call it strange because it's it's about Captain Pike. He keeps turning up in things that I've done over the years. And uh, so Clarence Brown was kind enough to ask me, you know, what what's going on with that? And, uh, you know, we're, we're hoping that maybe that will be of interest to some other people. There are books in the Star Trek uh, paperback novel franchise. There are books about Captain Pike. There have been comic books about Captain Pike. I'm not connected with any of those. So, yeah, so tune out now, right? Uh, but... At one point, younger in, in my younger life, I was uh, planning to make a career in comic books, either either as a writer or as an illustrator or, you know, as so often happens, uh, a good deal of both. And uh, the first thing that I did that, as, an, uh, as an effort to try to pitch something professionally was a Star Trek tie-in book that would have been the continuing adventures of Captain Pike. It would have picked up right after The Cage and gone on from there. Um, I wish that some of that work survived. I have looked around for it, but I don't seem to have held on to any of it. So it'd be great to drop that onto a page here, I guess, while we're talking about this. But I don't have any of my art for uh, that comic book idea. And then somebody else, of course, did it much later, and I'm sure did it much better. But it just shows that even as a teenager, I was already thinking about how to tell more of this story. As a huge Star Trek fan, I had this special interest in this one character from this one episode. And and of course it's because I knew that it was it was the Star Trek as Roddenberry had originally conceived it. This was the idea before the show was picked up by a network and and it was clear that some changes needed to be made, some tweaks needed to happen to make it more television make it more network friendly. So I guess I've always felt like the cage was somehow a little more dangerous, a little more out there. And, and that intrigued me even before I was probably too young to really understand why. Perhaps they made me out of dreams you've forgotten. But and dressed you in the same metal fabric they wear? Well, I have to wear something, don't I? I was born in 1961, so I was five years old when the first aired episode of uh, the original Star Trek series aired. My mom and dad uh, told me that, uh, have always said that uh, I was sitting on mom's lap when uh, Man Trap aired, episode written by George Clayton Johnson, with whom I would work many years later. That's a story for another time, too, I guess. But it's the one about uh, the salt vampire. And, you know, I was five years old. I don't really remember it vividly, I gotta admit, but uh, Mom says that it scared me to half to death. But I was nonetheless hooked. And so I uh, was then, you know, I was sold from that first hour of television that I was a big Star Trek fan. And because I don't really remember many things before that, 
it's really true that Man Trap is one of my first, well, you know, the experience of watching Star Trek with my family uh, in its original run is one of my earliest memories. And so there really hasn't been a time in my life that I can recall that the original Star Trek series hasn't been a huge part of my life. It hasn't been, that it hasn't been deeply important to me. My local uh, affiliate in uh, North Central Alabama ran the original Star Trek series over and over again in reruns every afternoon at four o'clock. And they did this for years. So I would run home from school and watch Star Trek pretty much every weekday. And uh, they also showed it at noon on Saturdays. So they, they loved, <laughs> they, they were, I guess they were getting a lot of, uh, a lot of viewing eyeballs on people watching the reruns, but I saw them over and over again. And yes, I was one of those guys in the, in the early seventies who was uh, in those pre videotape days who was recording them off the air on audio cassette. So I listened to the original Star Trek series a lot. And honestly, today, uh, as a working screenwriter, I still think about those audio tapes that I made because I learned so much about writing for television from listening to those scripts, to those performances, to the way the shows were organized, to the way that the story was made to unfold through the careful and often very precise writing of those episodes. All circuits engaged, Mr. Spock. Standing by, number one. The first time I got a chance to see all of the cage, I guess it was when it was sort of... Uh, what Ruddenberry had kept was a black and white print of the whole pilot. And then little by little, there was color footage that was found, and then it became possible to actually colorize the black and white footage and all that stuff. So... There was like this big media event when we we're going to see all of the cage in color for the first time. So I remember that. And I was just entranced by it. And I, and I remember thinking, watching it, two things. One, this is transparently Forbidden Planet. That Gene Roddenberry had clearly gone to the theater and seen Forbidden Planet and, and thought, wow, you know, we could do something like that on television. And consciously or not, when he sat down to write the cage, he basically, you know, it's forbidden, it's forbidden planet. <laughs> um, so, so there's that. And I love forbidden planet. It's still my favorite genre film, I believe. But the other thing was, is that I loved captain Pike when we're on the enterprise before they reach Talos four in the cage, there is this scene, this conversation between captain Pike and Dr. Boyce and you imagine from the showrunner's point of view, Gene Roddenberry's point of view, if this is going to be the first episode of his TV series, he's trying to lay the ground rules for what the rest of the show is going to be like. So this conversation is the first time that Pike is going to open up and sort of tell a secret about himself. And he's going to tell it to his most trusted friend, who's Dr. Boyce. And Boyce mixes him a, a martini out of his medicine kit. The devil you putting in there, Ice? Who wants a warm martini? I just always loved, and that became a running joke for Dr. McCoy, too. So Roddenberry liked to hang on to the idea that he's going to be the doctor and the bartender. When Pike sort of unburdens himself in private with his friend, what he says is that he's, he's sick of it. I'm tired of being responsible for 203 lives, and I'm tired of deciding which mission is too risky and which isn't, and who's going on the landing party and who doesn't, and who lives and who dies. He's tired of the, 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 the burden of responsibility, and he's starting to think about what else he might do. And Boyce kind of talks him down, if you know the scene. He, he, he's, he, he says, you're, you're clearly just fantasizing. None of those things are you. 
I mean, one of the things he says he wants to do is, you know, go out on the, the rim of the galaxy and, and be a traitor. And he, he says, you realize those people are slavers, right? You don't. Are, seriously? That's not something you want to do. Like going to business on Regulus or on the Orion Colony. You, an Orion trader, dealing in green animal women slaves? But the point is that this isn't the only life available. This idea of the captain of the ship as somebody who is damaged goods, I've just always found really intriguing. That Pike has this conversation in which he says, I am just about ready to hang up, you know, the uniform and walk away from this. And then the next minute, he gets called to the bridge, and then snap, he's back on the job again. Because that's what he does. Because he's he's good at this. He's better at this than he realizes, I think. So I've always thought he was a very complicated and interesting person. And I was also fascinated by the fact that when we when he gets into the zoo, when he gets into that situation and discovers that the way to get out is to keep uh, to keep anger and hate burning in his mind that the Telosians have trouble reading through that, he has no trouble doing it. You stop the solution or I'll twist your head off. That he's good at that. That there is, and, and I think that's also emotionally fascinating, that he has this boiling rage going. And when he learns that he needs to tap into that, there it is. There's no problem. All right. You try one more illusion, you try anything at all, and I'll break your neck. So he's mad as hell about something. I mean, in his life, you know, as a system, there's something about him that is ready to blow up. And a lot of it has to be this frustration with how hard it is to do what he does. And that's very realistic, you know, and instead of their sort of cartoon idea of what it means to be a leader, uh, where, you know, people face these, uh, these life and death circumstances and shrug them off and, and can go back to work the next day, you know, the, the show really wanted to explore the captain of this starship as being somebody for whom this is not easy, but he does it anyway. And he's brilliant at it, even though it's really, really hard. And I think growing up, I thought I I took that to be a a marvelous role model to really love the idea that that these jobs are not easy and to really admire the, the men and the women who do it and make it look easy, but to also be sympathetic to the fact that they may be dying inside they may be burning inside. So uh, as my writing career was, was getting, uh, you know, getting started, getting going, a number of people said to me, why don't you write a, a book for the, the Star Trek novel series? You know, the, all these novels are out there now. And I decided that I would. And I had my agent look into it and I contacted the publisher, you know, who's doing the line of books. So I started writing. And what I decided I was going to do was I was going to write a book about Captain Pike. Uh, so my story picked up right after the adventure on Talos IV, right after the cage, and attempted on one level to deal with the fact that Pike has had this this heartbreaking experience. I mean, Vina is still back there, you know? She's been left with the illusion of him. and But he he just has the memory of her. If, if you have somebody who's inside your head, like the Telosians were, it's... It's almost like a, a rape experience. It's all, I mean, you could call that rape. They, they got into him. And so I, I really wanted to get involved with, with the, the story about him trying to unpack all that stuff and to come to grips with the fact that it was so easy for him to touch on this monumental, this mounting rage that is inside him. So um, that was the emotional storyline of the book. Now, the plot was about a, uh, a Federation 
uh, outpost, a colony that is threatened by a volcano. And what I was trying to do artistically, I think you can see this coming already, was to relate the geological phenomenon that was happening on this planet with him. So, at least on paper, at least in the draft, my book was called Mountain of Fire. And and you could say, well, that's kind of about the volcano, but that was also him. He's a mountain of fire. He's got something inside him that is ready to blow up. I'm willing to bet you've created an illusion this laser is empty. I think it just blasted a hole in that window and you're keeping us from seeing it. You want me to test my theory out on your head? It's a long story why, but I didn't ever finish the book. I got involved in doing other things, including writing some plays, uh, one of which would take me to New York. And when I came back from New York, the phone was ringing, and it was my agent asking me if I'd like to pitch for this TV series called Star Trek The Next Generation. So, yeah, to hell with this paperback novel I was writing. I'm going to go write for... TNG, which, you know, you can imagine somebody growing up uh, with the original series and, and wishing that they had been old enough to somehow write for that show. You know, well, I'll never write for Star Trek, obviously. Well, now there is another, there's going to be another Star Trek. You know, it, it seemed, it seemed uh, like a fantasy. Uh, so, yeah, I have spent a lot of time thinking about Captain Pike and admiring uh, Jeff Hunter and his portrayal of the role. If I'm understanding right, when Discovery comes back for season two, we're going to find, we're going to meet Captain Pike and we're going to find that he's just had the experience on Talos four. So this is right where, where my book was going to take off. I don't have any illusion that I'm the only person who ever thought about this. I think there are a lot of Star Trek fans who really wanted to, who, who look at the cage now and, and, and wonder, okay. And then 13 years later, you know, it's, it's Kirk and, 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 and Spock aboard the enterprise. What happened in between, you know, the, and, and there has been an awful lot of fan fiction and, 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 and a number of the novels now that, uh, that did explore that territory. But those are things that I thought about a lot in those days and, you know, still, still thinking about. I don't know this actor who has been cast as Captain Pike, but, you know, I just, I just look at his, his headshots that are online. I think, wow, the, the physical casting is dead on. They've, he, he looks like Jeffrey Hunter and that's cool. And all the pictures that I've seen of him, he seems to be glowering. Which makes me think, I think if they're going to explore Pike as a character at all, and not just, you know, dismiss it immediately, I think that that fire inside him is one of the things they're going to look at. There's a way out of any cage, and I'll find it. That's interesting to me. That makes me think, I'm not the only one who noticed that, and I'm not the only one who's been thinking about it all this time. Those are my thoughts about Captain Pike, Captain Christopher Pike. People who know my radio drama series... Relativity, which you can find out more about at RelativityPodcast.com, may well note that the male character on the show has the first name Christopher. Coincidence? My name is Christopher Pike. 